Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Bone Talk. I'm Barbara Hannah Grufferman, writer, speaker, positive aging advocate, but also proud Bone Health Ambassador and trustee for the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Okay, everyone, think about this for just a minute. If there are people in your life you love and care about, chances are good that you have been a caregiver, are a caregiver, or will be a caregiver. In fact, almost 70 million Americans are serving as volunteer caregivers right now. This group provides 90% of all long-term care in this country. Each and every one of us is part nurse, part therapist, part personal assistant, financial planner, social worker, and part everything else that needs to get done even though we may not be trained for any of it. So sounds like having more knowledge and support would make all a lot easier, don't you think? That's why the conversation I'm about to have with my guest today is so important. Amy Goyer, AARP's family and caregiving expert and author of the fabulous Juggling Life, Work, and Caregiving is a nationally known expert on aging and families, specializing in family caregiving grandparenting, and multi-generational issues. She has spent more than 30 years advocating for and serving older adults and families. She's a recognized media authority and has been on just about everything, like Good Morning America, Today, CBS This Morning, and numerous other broadcast and print media outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and People Magazine. A passionate champion for family caregivers, Amy is really in our court. And her work is the perfect fusion of her own personal and professional experiences. In fact, Amy has been a caregiver her entire adult life. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a great pleasure to be here with you, Barbara. Thank you for having me. Now, you are a true professional expert, as we heard, when it comes to all aspects of caregiving, but you also have deep personal experience in caring for members of your own family. Can you please share your story with us briefly? Sure. It's hard to tell it briefly because there's so much of it. I really became a caregiver at the ripe old age of 21 when my parents moved from Ohio where I grew up and was going to college uh, to Arizona and my grandparents were in Indiana. So I spent a lot of years in my 20s and 30s driving over to Indiana, checking on my grandparents. My mom had siblings, and so my aunt and uncle, my cousins helped her mother a lot in Indianapolis. But my dad was an only child. And so my parents were in Arizona, and my grandparents, my dad's parents, were getting older, and my grandmother got Alzheimer's disease. And so granddaddy was her primary caregiver for many, many years, but uh, didn't know much about caregiving. And I was working in the field of aging already, and I would go over and help him learn about adult briefs and incontinence and how to protect the bed and 
meals. I got them meals on wheels and then eventually home care. And eventually they had 24 hour home care. But there were times when I would drive over there every weekend to help and facilitate them. In the middle of all that, my mom had a stroke and she was only 63. So that was a real game changer. And my dad, who was managing my grandparents' finances and flying back to Indiana as often as he could, he now had mom as his primary focus. So I began having that backup role and my sisters and I would go, 60% of family caregivers are working, Barbara. And yes. I, was, I was definitely working and I had just started a new job with the Ohio Department of Aging when my mom had her stroke. And I was fortunate because I had no leave buildup, but people donated leave to me so I could go and be here for two weeks for her and help her get her in rehab and do all those things. I had a boss. I was working in the field of aging, so people understood, had a very understanding boss. But so you were most, already creating your network. Yes, mm-hmm. and most caregivers have more challenges at work, which we can talk about. But over the years, it became a much longer distance because I moved to Washington, D.C., and I did a lot of going back and forth. And as my parents got older, my dad developed Alzheimer's disease. So he had began to have a harder time taking care of my mom in his 80s. I mean, he really didn't get symptoms until his early 80s. And my mom had increasing health issues. So I moved out to Phoenix from Washington, D.C. and kept a place in here in Alexandria and in the D.C. area, going back and forth almost every month for work and helping my parents. They lived in a senior community for three years, and then they moved back in the house with me so I could provide more care because they really needed 24-hour care then. In the midst of all that, my oldest sister had Cushing's disease, and she was in Maryland, so I was going also to help her. She had surgeries and complications. We lost my mom in 2013, and we lost my sister in 2014. And my dad just passed away about eight months ago, but he was living at home with me right up till the end. And I feel really good about the care that he had and the quality of life that all of my loved ones had. You were are a true caregiver in every sense of the word, and it sounds as though you were taught how to be a good caregiver from other members of your family, almost like it was passed on from generation to generation. Yeah. We all applaud you. I mean, really, what a story. And of course, we, you know, we are connected on social media. I've been following your story for quite some time. Heartbreaking, but you are just such a hero for so many of us. And again, we do applaud you. I mean, it's a huge transition. I I don't know how your parents felt about you. I don't want to say taking over, but it's a huge transition when older family members or or, or family members that need help start to, you know, need that help and, and maybe are not always acknowledged by the older family member. What are the first steps that a family should take or an individual can take to make sure the transition to caregiving go smoothly and that they don't feel as though their lives are being completely taken away from them. I remember my own mother when we felt that she really shouldn't be driving anymore and we had to take away the car keys. It was a very tough transition for her and for us too. What are, mm-hmm. your, what are your tips here? And you bring up one of the hardest things, the driving, because our wheels are our independence. And so everyone, I always say, if someone came up to me and I was 25 years old and said I couldn't drive anymore, or now when I'm 58, nobody would like it. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's because it's your independence. 
And that's why we talk about hanging up the keys rather than taking away the keys. Important kind of language, yes. terminology language for is, it because, is key. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the key thing, Barbara, is to have these conversations really early and often and talk about your loved one's wishes. Uh, what their plans are. If you can talk about these things before it's a crisis, the family gets through it so much easier. So you plan these conversations. You talk about what, what legal things are in place. Is there power of attorney already in place or one that will spring into action if, they are, if it's needed? Do they have plans for long-term care? Do they have long-term care insurance? Mm -hmm. um, understanding what the financial picture is because we all hope that we're not going to need care. We don't really want to think about it or talk about it. But in reality, we really need to plan for that. So having those conversations early on and being aware of what resources are going to be available, what's expected of you as a caregiver, and what your loved one's wishes are. The key thing with this, and you, you made such a good point about it going smoothly, is that we're all on the same team. And coming across that way is key. So having those conversations in a loving way, being clear that everyone's goal is for mom or dad to be as independent as possible for as long as possible. Yes. That's the key thing. And so it might be that their independence changes, but they're as independent as possible. For example, that might mean for my parents, when we wanted my dad to stop driving, he was angry. And, and mm -hmm. I, in fact, my dad never got angry. It was such a, a strange thing to see him so angry. But then his next comment was, okay, well, we're moving then. I don't want to be stuck in the home. We're going to move to a senior community where they have transportation and meals. That's what they did. And then when they needed 24-hour care, we talked about it. I looked at all the options. I laid all the options out for them. And they moved back in the house. Even their decision of where they moved to was their decision. I went to 12 places and looked at them, but I narrowed it down to three and took them to those three, and they made the final decision. It's somewhat about owning that decision and buying into it, really making it clear that we're on the same team here. This is not an adversarial thing. Mm -hmm. uh, wonderful tips. And I made, and my sister and I made some mistakes when we were talking with my mother about, as you said, hanging up the key. I mean, I wish I had known that tip. Yes, <laughs> it's a yes. fabulous tip instead of saying taking away because that's how they feel. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I took over her finances and, you know, paying her bills and the like and her taxes and all of that, which was uh, really clearly an important thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to Sure, I made some mistakes in how I discussed it with her, but you know, luckily at the end of the day, it, it has all worked out. It's worked out, yeah. It has worked uh, there's out. There's no perfect way to do it, Barbara. I mean, we all make mistakes. My, my sister and I had my dad's doctor talk to him about it before we had the other options in our minds, and that was a big mistake. Uh, it's always good when you're going to ask loved ones to make a change know what their options are. So you don't just say, you need to stop doing this. You say, I'd really love it if you stop doing this because I'm concerned about your safety. How about this instead? Mm -hmm. That's a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. ARP has a great, great thing for, since we were talking about driving on the website called We Need to Talk. If you Google We Need to Talk or aarp.org slash We Need to Talk, it's about how to have these conversations about driving. And there are some really great tips there.
And I have to say, and, and I will say again later, but AARP really is a great resource for this. I mean, caregiving is a top priority for AARP, as you know, as their expert. And, and I do encourage everyone to check out aarp.org slash caregiving, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Right. And yeah. then you'll see a lot of these resources. But I'm sure, Amy, that you experienced this. I know I did and my sister did when we were feeling really frustrated about everything and okay. feeling guilty a lot as well. But caregiving can make one feel very isolated. You can feel almost like it's this is only happening to me. And, and confusing time, you're not sure, you, you second guess yourself. So what are some of the tools and resources that can support caregivers? And you did and have been doing building a network so that you get the help you need. It's one of the major challenges of being a caregiver is being isolated. And it's partially because so much of your effort and life energy is going into the caregiving and you don't have the time to connect with friends and others who can help you and support you, but it is absolutely vital to do so. The nice thing is that now there are many different options. One of the best things is an in-person support group, and you can find a support mm -hmm. group by contacting uh, disease-specific organizations like the Alzheimer's Association or Alzheimer's Foundation or the Heart Association. I'm sure that you all in the Osteoporosis Foundation have some referrals for support groups. Oh, uh, we do. We do. Yes. Uh, in, specifically Inspire, what a terrific group. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So those are all really good resources. There are also um, online community options. AARP has a wonderful online community caregiving group, mm -hmm. and you can go in there and ask any type of caregiving question any time of day. And then I'm in there every day and other experts as well. And and fellow caregivers, because the truth is we learn the most from each other. So it's really good to connect with other caregivers that way. Some people join Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. That's another good way to kind of have a connection that in a way that you're used to doing anyhow. The person you meet in the doctor's office, you know, oh, I see you're here with your mom too, and you, you exchange information. I mean, I've, I've met many local people that way who I stayed in touch with during caregiving. So it's a partially about being open. Many people get support from their faith community, obviously family members, but sometimes not all family members are very supportive. So true. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that's like a whole nother conversation. But one of the things that I always tell people is I have learned that I can do anything, but I can't do everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've done things as a caregiver in the hospital and everything else that I never thought I would do, but mm -hmm. I cannot do everything. There's just too much. So I, that's I have to stop you, Amy, me. with that. That is such a great, I want to repeat it because I think that's so brilliant and I love it. That may in fact become my new mantra. Uh -huh. I can do anything, but I can't do everything. Exactly. Everybody listening, please remember that we are strong, but yes. we can't do it all. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that. No. And once I finally learned that and embraced that, that changed my whole caregiving experience. Mm -hmm. When you first begin caregiving, you kind of think, well, this is a family thing. Family's going to do this. And then you realize family is probably not enough. And so you have to build your team in other ways. You have to look for local community resources. AARP has a wonderful new tool 
called the Community Resource Finder, and that's just communityresourcefinder.org. And you can go in there and search for local resources, medical resources, in-home care, a lot of different great things, as well as educational opportunities. There's caregiving conferences, and uh, I travel around the country and speak at a lot of those things. There, there are lots of local events that are actually really helpful, too. So reach out there and build that team. Uh, to tell you one more anecdote, my mom, the most important things to me was to make sure for her quality of life, she got her hair done once a week and got her nails done every other week. I love it. She had always done that, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it was important. Mm-hmm. And so her hairstylist had been doing her hair for 35 years. And when I would be out of town, because I travel a lot, and if I couldn't arrange transportation, he would get leave his shop, go get mom and dad and my dad's service dog, Mr. Jackson, bring them to his shop, do mom's hair, and then take them back. Or his daughter would do that. I mean, he was a critical part of my caregiving team. Absolutely. Made your and mother so, happy. Yeah. And that was and, really important, her quality yeah. of life. Yeah. And Same thing with her manager. He and his daughter and Mr. Jackson, they were all part of that network. Team, that exactly. They were part of yeah. the team. Even um, the valet parkers at the mall, I always, I, I always told them they were part of my team because I could, in that hot Arizona sun, you can pull up under shade and they would help me get the wheelchair out of the car and help me get mom and dad out. And then they go off and park the car for $2. And we would go there to get exercise and walk around and do things because it would be too hot to be outside in the summer. Now, Amy, so, yeah, you, think broadly. You, yes, think broadly. But again, that, that new mantra, I love it. We can do anything, but we cannot yes. do everything. I, that's exactly. Just I'll amazing. send you my infographic. <laughs> yes, please do. And I'll share it. I'll share it. Absolutely do. You know, you talk a lot about being a long-distance caregiver. I mean, you yourself were a long-distance caregiver. Mm-hmm. I am a long-distance caregiver. My mother lives 350 miles away from me. Yeah. And she fell because of osteoporosis. She fell, broke her hip, had hip surgery, and her life was forever changed. I won't go into uh, detail about this, but her life was changed and so was mine. Now she is no longer living independently in her own home, but she has, after a lot of discussion, a lot of options presented and the like, as you discussed before, I, I do think I did a better job this time around <laughs> than the, you know, the very beginning with the car. But at the end of the day, we decided together that she would go to assisted living with additional support. She now can't move from A to B without a walker. She's no longer as mobile as she was. It's life changing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I am a long distance caregiver. I yeah. am. I, I speak to her several times a day. I speak mm-hmm. to the caregivers. I'm in touch with all of her doctors. I take her to doctor's appointments. I'm there. You mentioned flying like once a month. That's mm-hmm. me. I'm heading there on Monday. It's you know lot. all about this. What yes. are your best tips? Because this is a reality for a mm-hmm. lot of people in this country. What are your it best is. tips for being a successful long distance caregiver? And one of the things about long distance caregiving is family caregivers tend to spend more of their own money when they're long distance caregivers. The the average amount of money that a caregiver spends per year is about seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and uh, that doubles if you're dealing with someone who has dementia. But long distance caregivers is more than that, mm-hmm. and so it's because the flights you oh, may tell be me about someone it. to provide care you can't provide because you're not there, mm-hmm. and yeah. So when you're thinking about being a long distance caregiver, think about budget. Think about yeah. what you can afford, budget. what you can do, how things can get paid for. 
One of the things I did was I got a credit card that had miles, frequent flyer miles, with every dollar I spent, and I paid for all all the monthly expenses with that and paid those. And I used those miles to fly my sister in when I had to leave town so Mm -hmm. she could be there. So think about creative ways. The key thing with long distance is to know what's going on. It's hard to know when you're not there. Mm -hmm. So you have to start out by assessing and monitoring their needs, the situation, and it has to be kind of continuously done. So what you're doing, you've got to maximize those in-person visits. You're there, you check on everything, you check on who's taking care of your loved ones, are they getting the care you expect, et cetera. But you also have to have someone who's like your eyes and ears on the ground. Yes. And that might be, if they're living in a facility, that might be someone at the facility. It might be a neighbor. It might be a friend, another family member. You can also pay someone to do that. There are geriatric care managers, or they may be called aging life care specialists. There's actually a national organization for them where you can look for one. People who are sort of care managers, they'll check on your loved ones, tell you what's happening. If there's a crisis, they can go in and help out until you get there that sort of thing. It's going to try and monitor so that you know exactly what's happening with your loved ones from time to time. Right. And that support system is, as I said, might include neighbors, friends. Your, if your loved ones are living at home, it might even be the postal carriers, you know, the people who see them on a regular basis, whoever's delivering food or groceries, whatever that's going on, the personal care folks who are doing things like their hair and their nails. So then you look at what can you do? So what can you handle from a distance? There's still a lot you can do. Finances are one of the things a lot that that a person from a distance, as you say, you've taken over for your mom. And I did the same for my dad. And I was lucky because he was so happy to have the help. Mm -hmm. But you can do that, especially now with technology. Absolutely. Uh, Everything is done online. I even do her shopping online. Yes. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that's a really good thing you can do. You can call in for doctor appointments. You can even video chat in if you have someone there to help arrange that. One thing I really like to emphasize is that if your loved ones are living in a facility, people feel like, well, I I can breathe a sigh of relief now. They're being taken care of. But the truth is you still have to reassess and monitor on a very regular basis to make sure. And and be an advocate. Getting Always, always be the advocate. Always, always, always. Things don't happen on their own. (laughs) No, no. Those are amazingly great tips, and I will be using some of those myself. So thank you for that, because this is my life now. I am a long-distance caregiver, so I need need all the help I can get. The one thing I, because I I know you're a wonderful person, and one of the things that long-distance caregivers deal with even more than in-person caregivers is guilt. I'm not there. Oh, yes. I feel so bad. The fear and the frustrations. Don't beat yourself up. You're doing your best and you you may not be able to move there like I did, but or move your loved ones to you, but you do all these other things. Just know that okay, we all feel guilty sometimes, but you are absolutely doing your best and being there and showing up for your loved ones in the best way you can. Thank you. That that was wonderful to hear as well. We're also busy with our own lives. I mean, working and families and and then when we add this layer to our lives. It it can really just sap 
energy, certainly have no time for anything but what we must do, no time for things we would like to do. And this is a, a really critical area, I think, yeah. that we need to focus on. So the question is, how do caregivers get the breaks? How do they get breaks from their caregiving responsibilities? It's not always easy. What are your best tips for that? So that caregivers can take care of themselves. Yes, that is the trickiest. That's the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Another term for that is respite, you know, getting a respite, getting a break. Mm-hmm. There are different ways to do that. One, uh, one way is to pay someone to be with your loved ones and take care of them, whether that's a home health aide or a, a geriatric care manager to kind of watch over things while you're on vacation. Another way are respite facilities. Your loved ones can go to a facility just for a week or two, and you can inquire. Um, even some assisted living facilities also do that, what that would entail and, and how that might work. If your loved one is in hospice, many of the hospice organizations have hospice facilities or where, where they can go for a week and you can get a break from the home, care at home. It's really good to contact your local area agency on aging and ask mm-hmm. them about, I need some support. How do I get a break? They can tell you about uh, local respite opportunities, adult day centers. One of the neatest things are the adult day centers. I started my career out working in adult daycare and your loved one can go there during the day for several hours and have activities and have a meal. And many of them have a, a nurse staff there can administer medications. And socialize, which is, and I socialize. think, critical exactly. to their well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really critical. And then, you know, you, you get a break uh, or you go to work or you know, the other things that you need to do. You can go on that community resource finder or you can go to the elder care locator uh, at eldercare.acl.gov to contact your area agency on aging and find out what respite is available in your area. That's a key thing. But the other thing about taking care of yourself is the breaks are really, really critical, but you also have to sleep. Sleep is the thing that we sacrifice the most because there's not enough time for everything. When you have a break, sometimes what people do is they just sleep. I one time did this, went to a hotel and just kind of slept all weekend. It's just critical. You can't, we can't function when we're exhausted. And no, and then also moving our body. To cope. Yeah. We, we also yeah. know how important just having even a little bit of exercise, even if it's just a walk, is to our own health and well-being. And so I encourage anyone listening to please do take better care of yourself, especially if your life also includes caring for others, which, <laughs> as I said yes. at the beginning of this program, probably does. It and if does. It's not exactly. today, certainly will be. Mm-hmm. Amy, what are those critical two or three ideas that you really, really, really want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? The things that I share the most are, first of all, to reiterate, I can do anything, but I can't do everything, and you have to build a team. Second of all, about this taking care of yourself, I had a personal experience. I went into the gas station, and my car was on empty, you know, and I was just terrified it was going to just stop. And when I pulled out from the gas station, I thought, well, you know, it's interesting. The car actually runs better when it has a full tank of gas. Well, duh, right? But that was such an aha moment for me because I realized I expected myself to run just as efficiently on empty and on empty most of the time. So I started looking at it as filling my tank. So everything I do, I would envision how that fuel gauge would go up in my internal fuel gauge. 
And it's everything from the things we've talked about, sleep and taking care of yourself, but it's also exercise, stress reduction, what, what works for you, whether it's gardening or exercising or uh, yoga, meditation, all of those things that kind of fill your tank. But it's also getting those breaks, spending time with friends. For me, a lot of times it was five-minute things like getting a cup of coffee or texting a friend or talking to my boyfriend, you know, that sort of thing. So look at it as filling your tank, little quick things, premium fill-ups, tune-ups when you have that week or two away from caregiving, and then the routine maintenance, uh, all of your sleep, your exercise, your doctor's appointments. And the other thing I really would love to share is that I had to change my view of success as a caregiver. I realized that I felt like a failure a lot of the time because if I didn't prevent something, my mom had a lot of falls. Oh, she had another fall. It was my fault. I had to stop looking at it that way. That wasn't helpful to me, and it certainly wasn't helpful to my parents. So I realized that I had to change my view of success and that the one thing I knew I could do is always be there. Every time I got knocked down, I got back up. I looked for new solutions. I did new problem solving. I was there next to my parents, lovingly walking that journey with them. And that's success as a caregiver. And that mindset means everything. Amy, you are such a, just a wonderful, wonderful person. It's just a pleasure to talk with you. I learned so much. And I really want everyone to pick up a copy of your book. It is a great book. You'll learn so much, everyone, from Amy's book called Juggling Life work and caregiving and it's available on amazon barnes and noble and also through the american bar association and also definitely as i mentioned before get a copy of aarp's free it's free guidebook which you can download right now it's called prepare to care a planning guide for families i personally found it to be incredibly helpful as i found amy's book and of course, visit aarp.org slash caregiving to find the local resources Amy was talking about, caregiving guides, and so much, so much more. Amy, I can't thank you enough for sharing your incredible knowledge, expertise, resources with all of us, but also your own personal journey. It's been quite a journey, and you are an inspiration to all of us. And I, I, I do feel as though I probably didn't do it all correctly when I started caregiving, you know, more officially, if you will, for my mom. But I feel that with your resources, and because I have read your book and the ARP resources, that I've gotten better and better and better. And I love what you said about how you rethought success, how you, it was a shift in your mind, how you mm -hmm. look at success. You are a success. And we thank you for being on today. Oh, thank you so much. The feeling is quite mutual. You inspire me too, Barbara. So thanks for all you're doing for your mom and thanks to all you caregivers out there. Oh, thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk. We heard Amy's story. You heard a little bit of mine, but we want to hear your stories too. So please visit www.nof.org and go to share your story and tell us what's happening in your world because the more we stay connected, the stronger we will be. And for more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, go to nof.org regularly for up to the minute information. And everyone, did you enjoy this episode as much as I did? Possibly learn something new and helpful? 
If so, please do two simple things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share with all your friends and family because they are caregivers too. Until next time, remember this. We can't control getting older, but we can control how we do it. Thank you and bye for now. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.